Now, when I first heard Jacko Willink talk about his new venture, Origin Maine, I was immediately excited. Retired from a leadership role as a Navy SEAL and renowned for his message of how extreme ownership triumphs over victimhood, it was plain as day that Origin would be all about getting it right, to the last detail, all the while respecting each and every one involved, from leadership to the dedicated employees and especially the customers. Origin Labs has since produced the purest, most natural, and targeted supplements anywhere, free of artificial sweeteners, controversial additives, and or anything else that would diminish your manhood. Now, guys, I've already been using the entire range for nearly two weeks, and I feel fantastic. Then, of course, came the world's first jeans designed for men who didn't want to have to choose between style and, well, raw utility. Origins one-of-a-kind jeans let you get the job done just in time to have a nice dinner with the woman in your life, all while fitting like men's jeans really should. And the boots. You're going to have to see those for yourself when you visit mountaintoppodcast.com front slash origin. Now, for the guys at Origin Maine, Made in the USA is not just a slogan, it's a way of life. Everything Origin does is designed, sourced, and built right here in America. So, as you might expect, when the CDC called on all of us to help in the wake of the current COVID-19 crisis, Origin Maine's entire team was quick to spring to action and produce masks. We can all literally breathe a little easier for their efforts. For all these reasons and more, as you might imagine, teaming up with Jocko, Pete Roberts, Brian Littlefield, and the rest of the team at Origin Maine is not just a giant thrill, it's a great honor. So it's with great pride that I announce Origin Maine as the newest supporter of this show. And it was you, the big four men listening, who made it happen. Expect lots of excitement ahead, but for now, take a look around at mountaintoppodcast.com front slash origin and take full advantage of the Mountain 10 coupon code for a full 10% off any purchase. And now, let's get to a powerful episode ahead with a wise man and my good friend, Dr. Jed Diamond. Live from the mist-enshrouded mountaintop fortress that is X and Y Communications Headquarters, you're listening to the world-famous Mountaintop Podcast. And now, here's your host, Scott McKay. Greetings, gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the world-famous Mountaintop Podcast. My name is Scott McKay, at Scott McKay on Twitter, Real Scott McKay on Instagram, Scott McKay on YouTube. The website is, as always, mountaintoppodcast.com, and I also, as always, encourage you to join our hearty and rough-and-ready group of real men who are striving to be big four men of character at the Mountaintop Summit Facebook group. With me today is a friend of mine whose work I respect very much, and he is the author of a brand-new book called 12 Rules for Good Men, and it's good stuff, and I'll point you to it at the end of the show, of course. The topic du jour that we're going to discuss is a timely one, given what's going on right now as we record this with the COVID-19 virus, and that's what he calls disconnection syndrome. So I want to reintroduce you to my good friend and returning guest, none other than psychologist and therapist, Dr. Jed Diamond. Jed, welcome, man. Hey, good to be here again. Nice to talk to you. 
Yeah, every time we've done work together, the guys have been all over it. It's always a fantastic, fruitful, productive conversation full of amazing, actionable items. And I expect today will be more of the same wonderful content that we can always expect. So with that in mind, I want to go ahead and let you riff on exactly what disconnection syndrome is, because I think it's timely in this day and age where we're all being told to shelter in place and practice what uh, the new buzzword is, which is social distancing, right? So what is disconnection syndrome? Well, beyond uh, the, the catchy phrase, I really believe that disconnection syndrome underlies a lot of the problems that we're seeing today in the world, in our relationships with our partners, our mates, our relationship with ourselves, and our relationship with the whole earth and the, the environment that we're all part of. And what I mean by it is that we've become disconnected from everything. Uh, we are connected in social media, but what we lose when we're online or connected to social media is often we lose the connections in our our day-to-day lives. We don't talk to our kids as much. We don't talk to our friends as much. We don't sit down at the dinner table together. And the pace of society almost demands that we be going so fast and going from one thing to another that we aren't able to take the time to connect with ourselves, to know how am I feeling? What am I thinking? What's going on inside? And maybe the biggest disconnect is in our relationships. I think we all recognize that many of our relationships, our love relationships, our relationships and family are suffering. And I believe the underlying cause are these disconnections that in many cases we're not even aware of. You know, it's talked about quite a bit in the media and elsewhere that we as human beings, since the age of social media has hit us, are spending a lot more time electronically interacting to the detriment of our real-world social skills and real-world interaction. And with this present situation that's driven by the global pandemic of us being kind of holed up, uh, in a way, that's a relief to some people, I would think, who have gotten used to interacting on Facebook and on Twitter and kind of checking in with a lot of people at once rather than interacting with a few people. In other words, it's become a global village on the interaction scale for people. And as you so eloquently described, it's like being spread a mile wide and an inch deep socially. And that's overwhelming to people to the point where real, actual, more intimate conversation with real, actual people in real time is largely, dare I say, becoming a thing of the past. People have forgotten how to do it, in fact. Well, exactly right. And I think the, you know, the silver lining behind this pandemic is that it's forcing us to do some things and make some changes that we needed to make anyway. And interestingly, the bright side is, as you say, people are coming together. Here's a little fact that, you know, I think illustrates some of the positives of changing the way we are interacting. A lot of people have died in China, but the positive side is because 
they haven't been doing business as usual. The pollution in China, just a study came out that they probably have saved 20 times the number of lives from lowering the pollution level than were lost in the death from the pandemic in China. So nobody wants to think that we are disconnected from our lives in ways that can be dangerous. But now we're learning, you know, by necessity, how to reconnect with our families, how to hopefully reconnect to the earth. And once, you know, once we're on the other side of this, hopefully we will learn some lessons that will benefit everybody's lives. Well, certainly the global phenomenon of the world seeming a lot cleaner, and indeed people are doing pollution samples and what have you, uh, seems to be borne out by truth. I mean, just taking a bicycle ride around my neighborhood, it smells like Yosemite National Park out there at dusk, not like a suburban neighborhood in a major yeah. city, big time. Yeah. Now, insofar as that relates to what you call disconnection syndrome, I hear you saying that somehow we've disconnected from the earth and this idea of being holed up and perhaps getting cabin fever and having been sequestered in our shelters is going to cause us to really yearn to get outside and play again, right? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Well, I mean, I'm getting at that and more. When you think about human history, it goes back two million years. And for most of that time, we lived as hunter-gatherers. You know, men, you know, went out hunting every day for our food. And we lived in nature. We lived as part of nature. That's 99% of human history. It's only been, you know, in the 1% that we've lived in these large-scale communities and in cities and so on. And that's wonderful. There's lots of benefits to living in cities. But I think everybody who lives knows that nature, it draws us. We want to be in nature, even if it's just walking around, as you say, our, you know, our neighborhoods and enjoying the trees, listening to the birds, seeing the, you know, the clouds go by, hearing the sounds of nature. When people want to get out of their little shell, we long for that. And I'm just saying that that's a, a reality that we need to reconnect with more fully. And the fact that we're being forced to stay at home and the benefit, of course, if we've got family, we can interact with family. We you know, we can let go of uh, the demands of the workday world. But hopefully, once we get past that, we will take some of these lessons. Hopefully, we'll get out into nature more. Hopefully, we'll get more in balance with, uh, you know, the earth and the other creatures. And hopefully, this will improve our relationships with ourselves, with our mates and our families that, in fact, will be able to create more reconnection in ways that are going to be healthy and loving and something that we're all going to look forward to. Yeah, a curious feature of human nature is, of course, that tendency within us to want that which we cannot have. So mm. now that someone has told us, hey, you know, you're not allowed to interact with other people. You're not allowed to go explore 
on the larger scale outside of, you know, your immediate neighborhood. Obviously, people are out jogging and walking the dog and so forth. But traveling and exploring national parks looks like something we're not going to be doing much of this summer. So when you tell people they can't do it, it makes them want to do it. So I agree with you. This may be a watershed moment in our postmodern culture where people really do want to get back outside and revert to what I think is a very positive development of wanting to interact with each other. I mean, people are talking about video dates as a reasonable facsimile for dating in real time. And, you know, I have my own rant on that that I've given to my Facebook Live guys. And I believe it's just fall out of bed, knee-jerk dating advice to try to help people know how to do a Skype or Zoom date instead of dating in real life. Hey, people have been doing that already. (laughs) Right. People get on video chat and talk to each other before they meet in real life. And that is not a date. It's not going to be a real date until you actually meet this person, find out what their breath is like, find out what they smell like, find out what their voice sounds like in person and get a real 3D view of this person and see if you really get along with them. There's just no real substitute for real time interaction. And I think that's what people are going to come to grips with. And I would dare say that the phenomenon of FaceTiming with people and talking over Zoom, I know my kids are connecting via video chat with all of their friends. You know, my daughter's sure. been doing that for some time because of the sport she participates in. A lot of her friends who she's close with actually live in other states. Mm. But what I think is going to happen, what I suspect is going to happen, and you can give your opinion on this also, Jed, is that people are going to realize very quickly, you know, I'm substituting video conferencing for real-life interaction, and it's a cheap substitute. It isn't a real substitute. And I think another thing that may come from this, if I dare stir the pot, is all the guys who are going to be consuming larger amounts of pornography than they may have before this are going to realize this also is a very cheap substitute for real actual interaction with women. What say you? Well, I, I agree. And I think, yeah, I told you, I have, a, I have a PhD in international health and have done some That's very convenient. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> right. So very interesting, you know, brain studies that have done that demonstrate the difference between pleasure and happiness. And the, the pleasure centers of the brain release a neurochemical called dopamine. And that you know, that's that feel good that makes you want to, you know, oh, I, I want more of that. And that's the direction that leads to addiction. That's what, whether it's pornography addiction, where you watch that and you get that dopamine rush, and then you want more, and then you want more. And interestingly, the another brain chemical called serotonin in the brain leads to contentment. It's the kind of happiness that comes from, you know, a beautiful sunset. It comes from having real life interactions with people and a real love interaction. If you're, you know, dating that you get that, ah, that relaxed feeling of contentment rather than, you know, if anybody's ever done pornography and most people have at some point in their lives, most guys, let's face it, there's that tendency that you get a rush of that excitement, that dopamine pleasure, and then you want more of it and you want another. Well, what's next? What's what's after this? 
So what I call for, and I think what you're describing, you know, is the the human animal. And we're all animals. Let's face it. We are, you know, we're humans, but we're animals. And you can't substitute, you know, the mating dance, the love dance, the 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 desire to connect from those face-to-face interactions. You said it very well. We need to smell each other. We've been doing that for you know, two million years, we need to hear the sound, we need to feel the touch, we need to, you know, get the tactile sensations. None of those things can be substituted by the the digital world. Uh, and in fact, that world has the tendency to take people farther away from themselves, to make it more difficult for people to connect in real life, and to get people less happy, more depressed, you know, while you're rushing for the latest pleasure. That's what I'm trying to get people disconnected from the negative and reconnected to the positive. You know, a solid point there that comes to mind is we as humans are blessed with five senses with which we can interpret our environment as we live and have consciousness. When we're watching anything on video, I don't care if it's full motion, HD video, you're only entertaining two of your senses. So by virtue of the fact that only 40% of your senses are activated by anything that's on video, we are by definition cheapening ourselves out of a full body, full sensual experience. And, you know, that's something I've never heard anybody throw on the table before. I think it's a rather profound point. It is. And it's. You know, it it isn't just that we're only using a few of our senses, but what happens when we continually stimulate the dopamine centers in the brain is you keep wanting to just use those two. I give the example of this is, you you mentioned pornography. This is the first time in human history that we're seeing, and as a clinical psychologist, I see this in my practice where young men, between the ages, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, into their 20s, who have been using and watching pornography for a lot of their young adolescence and early adulthood, are now becoming impotent and can't get and keep an erection when they're with a real live girl, real live young woman, because their brain has been hijacked by those images and those senses that get you hooked on it and it closes down the other senses. So now you are with a real person and you don't know how to talk to them. You don't know how to interact. You don't know that little seductive dance that most of us remember when, you know, you, you reach out this way and she does this and there's a, a dance that only can happen in real life between real people who are multi-sensed and multi-sensual and we tap all the senses that's what we're missing in many ways and our young men in particular are the ones that are suffering from that yeah and that's something we've talked about on this show relatively recently is how Mm. when the whole experience of sex is cheapened habitually men not only forget how to relate to women uh, they may not have learned to begin with from an early age And that dance of seduction and, 
even the idea of what women offer us above and beyond sex can tragically get lost with young people, which gives rise to men thinking, hey, you know what? I don't need the institution of marriage. I don't even need a girlfriend. Hell, I mean, why worry about getting a woman pregnant and getting STDs and all that crazy stuff? I mean, I'll just rub one out watching porn. It's easier and cheaper and much less fraught with complexity. Right. Yet, you know, it's kind of like it's better to have loved and lost and never to have loved at all. You know, yeah. it's it's part of living to go out there and take the risk of getting to know someone and getting into a relationship and relating. And it's a risk reward situation always to enter into any kind of relationship with someone, uh, be it short term, long term business relationship, even a friendship between two dudes. Right. But that's how we're designed. And as you just said so poignantly, Jed, the danger there is we're succumbing to a habit that's based on a very recent development in human history. Right. I mean, you know, the advent of HD porn came about with the widespread availability of broadband Internet. I mean, those of us who are of a certain age remember being excited about the internet back in the mid nineties and we had 28, eight modems and we were watching individual images load very slowly. You're right. <laughs> Even if we're car shopping, you know, here's the image of the new Toyota pickup truck and it's coming, you know, 30 seconds later, you get a whole image. Well, nowadays, man, full motion video, you can pick any kind of girl you want naked doing anything you'd like for her to do. And it just kind of obviates the need, at least on the surface to do anything further than that. And that's a development in human history that is 15 years old. Right. (laughs) And we're talking about millennia of human history. Right. So having that dopamine sensor overloaded with such overstimulation of our sexual senses is something we're not designed to handle. And going along with that, The idea of online dating and in particular, of course, the advent of online dating apps has morphed us into beings who are addicted to that dopamine rush of getting likes and approval from people. And instead of actually stopping, tapping the brakes and saying, okay, which, who among these people who have swiped right on me, am I actually interested in meeting and who might I get along with in real life and with whom might there be a potential for relationship? We simply go back and get more likes. And this is very frustrating to everybody. You know, we've had people from the online dating apps on this very show. Dawoon Kang from Coffee Meets Bagel comes to mind. And she said they did a survey of their very own users who said, what I can't stand most about this app is ghosting. People flaking on me, disappearing after they allegedly liked me. And then she said, an ungodly high percentage of people who use her app admitted to doing the very same thing to other people. So it's this vicious cycle Mm -hmm. of very shallow, mile-wide, inch-deep interaction with people that leads to nothing that resembles what our human soul, what our human nature is designed to do relative to relationships. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you believe we'll get back to basics here and how we may be able to turn lemons into lemonade (laughs) based on this present pandemic situation. Yeah, well, you stated very well. Uh, 
Here's what I think would be helpful. And it really, as many good suggestions do, came from my wife. We've been married for uh, 39 years when she gave me the suggestion. It's 40 years now. But the suggestion was this. I'd written uh, uh, 15 books. I thought I'd uh, done my last book when I did a book on relationships called The Enlightened Marriage that help people hopefully understand the five stages of love that I, I think are necessary. I thought that was it. That was enough. But she said, we need a book for men and the women who love them that really helps men understand what it means to be a good man in today's world. Because she said that the demands on men, the armoring that men are forced to wear in order to meet the demands of a society that is dysfunctional in many of the ways that uh, you're describing. And so I started writing, and the output of that was a book called 12 Rules for Good Men that really took everything I've learned in my life and everything from clients that I've had over the last 40 years and really provided guidance of here are the 12 things you need to do. Because I think good men want to learn. This idea that men don't care about relationships or men just only want one thing from women, that's nonsense. You know, men want to be good men. They want to be men of quality. They want to have relationships that really work. But often, where do we learn it? We often grew up with absent or distant fathers. We live in a society that forces men in many ways to be separate from their families that have to work at jobs that keep them away. So I put together the things that I knew worked, that I had found worked in my own life, worked with my clients, worked for many of the people that I was seeing. And the feedback I've, I've gotten so far has been really heartening. It said, thank you. This, you know, gives me guidance. Women have said, you know, it's finally a man now is giving other men the guidance that can be helpful not only to the man and making his life better, but also can make things better in their relationships as as parents, as spouses, and just as men of quality that want to feel good about who we are in the world. You know, as you were talking, it occurred to me that the disconnection that we are experiencing one person from another socially these days, and not just in this present and hopefully temporary crisis, but writ large since social media basically took over, globally speaking. What's happened is instead of getting to know each other and hearing each other's opinions, we're so bombarded with this surface-level, media-driven image of who other people are that we have a greater tendency than ever, I believe, as human beings to just stereotype people and cast entire groups of people into a box because we're not talking to individuals anymore face to face and hearing their side of the story, figuring out what's on their minds, finding out how people really tick. Everything's in a 280 character soundbite and Mm -hmm. human nature has us fill in the blanks with everything we're not told and figure out in our own minds autocomplete, as it were, this entire vision of who this person is based on just one small thought. 
Right. And that's dangerous to the idea of human interaction over the longer term. I agree yeah. with you 100%. Yeah. The first rule that I that I thought was necessary it comes from my own experience. I've been in a men's group that's been meeting now for 41 years. And my wife has said that one of the reasons she thinks our relationship has been good for 40 years is that I've been in a men's group for 41 years. And whether that's true, what I know about historic connections with men is that when we were hunter-gatherers, we hunted in a group of guys. We went out from the camp and, you know, interacted in a caring way with the, the animals that we brought back for the food for our, for our tribe. But we were part of a men's group. You know, we talked, we laughed, we joked, we, you know, we, we hung out together. And we've kind of lost those interactions. We've lost those rites of passage that young men need in order to be initiated from childhood to adulthood. And those ongoing times where men hang out with other men. You know, this idea somehow that guys who hang out with other guys, we need a more integrated society. We need to have men and women in all the social organizations together because we don't want to discriminate. Well, we can have equality, but we need times where men can meet with men and women can meet with women. Uh, my wife's in uh, two women's groups. I'm in two men's groups. This is part of our heritage. This is part of who we are. This is part of the warrior spirit that I talk about that really is at the core of what it means to be a man. And Interestingly, the second rule is recognizing our two billion year heritage as males, that maleness goes back billion years. You know, there were single cell creatures that were either male or female. You came together and you had then a new creature uh, that was now a mixture of the DNA from the male and the female. You don't eliminate those things because... We decide we want a, a, a unisex society. That one, it won't work. It'll never happen. But the desire for it is a misplaced desire for connection and equality between men and women. You don't get that by pretending that men and women are the same or that we should be the same. Yeah, you know, it's just silly to think that biologically speaking, maleness and femaleness are merely social constructs. <laughs> you know, yeah. you got millennia, you got millions of years of history backing that up. I want to focus on something else you just said about men being hunters and gatherers and warriors in spirit. And that idea of men aligning around a common purpose really is archetypal in our nature, isn't it? Mm, because if yes. you look at some of the tribes who really know how to live and breathe oxygen. You know, I've spent time with the Maasai in Africa, as I've mm. talked about on this show before. And those guys, we see them as primitive from the lens of our postmodern Western culture. But those guys are living a full life. They have real friendships, real relationships with a band of brothers who they trust intimately. And, you know, how evolved are we really if we're missing out on that in this life? Most guys... You know, and we've talked about this on the show before in passing. Most men, according to a certain study, most men have an average of zero close friends. I mean, the number right. is 
averaging closer to zero than a number higher than that when all men are taken into consideration. So there's certainly something innate in us to rally around a common purpose. We may not be circling a woolly mammoth to slay it to feed our wives and our children as a tribe. We may not be fending off another tribe of marauders from the next zip code over these days, but that doesn't change who we are. Whether it's playing golf together, going hunting together for sport, going and riding motorcycles together, or being in a bowling league on Tuesday nights, for heaven's sakes, that's how men build relationships, and that's how we build friendships. I mean, you got Kiwanis, you got Lions Clubs, guys who get together even to do good in their community. It's really just how men interact. So that idea of learning how to connect again with men is a profound one, and I think you've pretty much hit the nail on the head. We need to get back to the core of who we are, the essence of what it means to be male. And one of the, one of the things that is part of our society is that many women particularly will complain that, you know, there must be discrimination going on that men are keeping women from achieving their greatest potential and rising to the top. There's no woman president yet. There's no woman in positions of power, as many as men. And so the feeling is maybe women are getting held back by men who don't want them to achieve equality. And there's certain truth to that. There are some men that are holding women back. But the truth of the evolution of maleness, and this is something many people don't talk about, is that because of the nature of women being the more valuable of the species, you know, the ones that carry the babies inside their bodies are more valuable in evolutionary history. So males have and always will compete for the more valuable females, which means the males that women pick are the ones that have won the competition. So men are going to always compete for the positions of status and power, and women will often choose men that are the ones that have made it to the top of the competition. But here's the thing that often does not get talked about. Men also are much more highly represented in the bottom of the evolutionary scale. More males than females end up as school dropouts. More males than females end up actually with physical, emotional illnesses and die sooner and live sicker. So you've got men at the top, men at the bottom, and some people look up and say, man, there must be something the matter that we're not getting to the top. And some, I hear men see other men at the bottom, and they blame women who say, well, women are keeping us down. Women are not allowing us to, you know, to be who we are. So this blame and shame, I think, covers a reality that we need to understand part of the evolutionary reality of males is we have males competing at the top and the many men who can't compete end up at the bottom. The solution, I think, is not to try to amalgamate and make us all equal. It's to be able to recognize, you know, what are the forces that make certain men make it to the top and 
allowing women equality. And I have no doubt there's going to be a woman president someday. And women are achieving more positions of authority. But we also have to pay attention to the men who are at the lower end. You know, the men that are ending up in prisons more than women, the men that are dying sooner, the men that have more depression, the men that suicides are much higher for men than for women. So part of what I do is I want to look at the whole spectrum and to be able to provide opportunities through all kinds of interactions so that men can achieve their full potential, can be the great men that they're meant to be, so that not just for themselves, but for their communities, for women and families, because what we want is a better world for everybody. Well, certainly that's what we're about around here, too. The tagline is deserve what you want. So yeah, we're all about helping men become more empowered towards being choosers in their own right. Right. Um, my spin on what you just said is I believe when we are that kind of big four man, confident, masculine in the way women define it, able to make women feel safe and secure, even right. in today's somewhat disjointed culture where we really don't have to fight and kill anymore. We still need to give women that primal sense of safety and security. Mm -hmm. And also being men of character who women can trust long term, that transforms us into the kind of men who suddenly have who are suddenly spoiled for choice when it comes to the women who we're allegedly fighting for. You know, those guys right. who are most valuable to women likewise get to choose who their mates are going to be because, you know, lots of women are complaining that real men who attract them really don't exist out there anymore. I think of cities like New York City, where single women outnumber single men, and women are saying, man, I just can't find the right man who can give me the right kind of feeling and develop the kind of relationship with me, which comes back to us being disconnected again. We just don't know what we're doing. Right. And, of course, that message is paramount around here at XMI Communications. Every man listening to this has already taken the first step by doing so, towards becoming a man who deserves what he wants and will have a much greater selection in terms of the women he can eventually build a relationship with. I love it. Yeah. One of the things that has not come up yet in this discussion relative to disconnection syndrome as you describe it is something I think is absolutely mission critical to the discussion, and I think it's a suitable place to end this conversation, by the way, and that's how men are disconnected even from themselves nowadays. Right. Can you describe what you mean by that? Well, as I said, that's one of the prime disconnections, and I think it comes from a number of sources, and you, you've, you've mentioned a number, is that if we are not part of a community of brothers if we didn't grow up. That's, you know, through hunter-gatherer times, which, again, is 99% of human history. You know, we were initiated from boyhood to manhood in a group of peers that were our age group, that we all kind of came of age at a similar time. So when we were 11, 12 years old, we were taken away from the camp of the women and were brought into the male and taught some skills that we needed and some ways of being that were needed. And if we don't have that, there's, I, I describe it as a hole in the soul, uh, that there's something missing because we didn't have that. So that's disconnection number one that's got to be fixed so that we can reconnect with ourselves. The second one I find is when we have 
missing fathers when fathers are either denigrated, put down, or never feel and didn't grow up with these skills and don't feel manly themselves, they're going to either be more violent, more dysfunctional, more destructive, have addictions, or just be absent, divorced, gone. So, so many young boys grow up without dads, and that's a second disconnection. If you don't have the presence of a strong father, it's hard to feel, you know, that you get what it means to be a man. And the third thing is this confusion that I think is still rampant in society that we want men to live up to somebody's standard other than their own. You know, women say, you know, we want a man that's this way. And the demands of work or the demands of media say men, all men need to be tall and strong and powerful. You know, and so we try to be that. And yet there is a a quiet voice inside every man that I think knows who he is. And part of being in a men's group, part of being in programs that you're doing, gives men the the support and the context or the container necessary to say who you are is fine. You don't need to be somebody else. You know, if you didn't have a father, you didn't grow up with other guys, there is still a community here for you. There is a community of men that you can now learn from, you can give to, you can be part of. And I think that's really the hope for the future, because I think, you know, men are, if you will, the canaries in the coal mine that are letting us know that something is not right in the world. You know, men ending up in jail, men ending up with suicide, men ending up depressed, ending up with higher rates of cancer, higher rates of drug addiction, higher rates of alcoholism. All of these are indications that something is amiss in the society and amiss in the nature of how we're supporting the men in the world. And that's, you know, I've dedicated my life to changing that. It was something I made a promise to my son when he was first born and I held him in my arms. That was actually 50 years ago. And I said, I, I promise you, I will be a different kind of father than my father was able to be for me. And I will do everything in my power to create a world where men were fully engaged with themselves, who knew themselves and felt good about themselves, and were really fully engaged with their families. And that's really been my, my work for all these years. It's what men alive you know, my my business is what I've been doing and what I hope you know, I can continue putting out in the world for many years to come. Right from the get-go, when you started making your point, what I imagined was the whole idea of boys growing up without fathers. Mm. And sure enough, you jumped right onto that. Mm. To me, that's almost obvious, or at least it should be. And I was thinking, as you were talking, connection in and of itself is related very closely to continuity. In other words, what we're passing on to our sons as fathers is what keeps us connected. It's rather like a freight train. And where there's that disconnect between a young boy and a father to show him the ropes, as it were, what it means to be a man, there's really nothing to base 
connection with self on other than, you know, I'm a humanoid, right? And not that mothers can't do a good job raising kids, but I do want to underscore the significance of having a male role model. Right. You know, studies on that have been done. And typically when you ask young guys who their role models are, it's amazing and perhaps slightly shocking how they come up with people who aren't very nice guys. Mm. They aren't men of high character. They're either who's on the top of the music charts right now or whoever their favorite athlete is. And, of course, you know, years ago, Charles Barkley famously opined, I am not a role model. And, of course, that got him in hot water with some people. But, you know, it's a valid question. Should we be holding up these guys as heroes, paragons of manhood to emulate? And I'm not sure in many cases that really makes sense. Whereas when guys have had fathers who raise them upright, a lot of times when you talk about who is that hero of yours, who is that role model, they will say, it's my father. And that is of mission critical importance and something I think these guys shouldn't underestimate. Absolutely. Terrific, terrific stuff. Yeah. Um, I want to go ahead and point these guys to your book. It's called 12 Rules for Good Men, and you can grab a copy of it on Amazon by going to mountaintoppodcast.com front slash diamond, just like a diamond in the rough or, you know, <laughs> a fully cut, multifaceted diamond. There you go. Diamond, <laughs> and you can go to mountaintoppodcast.com front slash diamond and grab a copy of your very own of 12 Rules for Good Men. Also, I'm going to place that book at the top of the heap on my Amazon influencer page, which you can hit by going to mountaintoppodcast.com front slash Amazon. Jed Diamond, as always, a profound, meaningful, and essential discussion between you and I that I'm sure these guys are going to glean a lot of gold from. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Good to share with you and good to connect. And guys, if you have not yet gone to www.mountaintoppodcast.com just yet, these are rough times. They're challenging a lot of us. Many of the guys who are already on my laser coaching program or my 10 plus strategic coaching program have contacted me in recent days and weeks to talk about the disruption that's going on in their lives. As you know, we talked about disruption on this very show with Emily last week. This is a profound subject. This is something that's terra incognito for most of us, and you don't have to go through it alone. How can you be a man? How can you be a hero? How can you make good decisions in this day and age? How can you prepare for tomorrow? How can you prepare for the other side, the light at the end of the tunnel from this period of dealing with the coronavirus pandemic? All of those ideas are fair game when you talk to me for 25 minutes for free as are ideas that are more to the core of being a man, being attractive to women, and having the career and going on the adventures that you really want. It's all there for you when you click the red button at the top right-hand corner of the page and talk to me for free for 25 minutes. You'll find I'm exactly the guy you think I'm going to be. I don't play a fictional character on this show. I'm down to earth, and I look forward to talking to you. That's how I keep my pulse on everything related to this show, frankly is by talking to you guys. So go on over to mountaintoppodcast.com. You can schedule your 25 minutes with me for free on the fly, and I look forward to talking to you. And until I talk to you again on this show, on the next episode, this is Scott McKay from X and Y Communications in San Antonio, Texas. Be good out there. (laughs) 
the Mountaintop Podcast is produced by X and Y Communications. All rights reserved worldwide. Be sure to visit www.mountaintoppodcast.com for show notes. And while you're there, sign up for the free X and Y Communications newsletter for men. This is Ed Roy Odom speaking for the Mountaintop Podcast.